You are listening to the Informal Investigation Podcast. This is the podcast where we investigate, experience, and share interesting finds. My name is Asher, and let's begin. Formal Investigation Podcast is for entertainment purposes only. We are not responsible if you mess up. You should always do your own homework. If you try anything mentioned on this podcast, you are doing so at your own risk. The views presented on this podcast are solely those of the speakers and do not represent any affiliated or unaffiliated organizations. Today, we are opening an informal investigation into dry cereal. If you like what you hear on this podcast, please subscribe to us on your podcast listening app of choice to be notified about all of our latest episodes. Disclaimer, this episode on dry cereal got way, way more out of control than I expected. What started out as an investigation into cereal turned into a deep dive into gastrointestinal diseases, the war on masturbation, corporate legal battles, suicide, and ultimately um, the making of the official and formal investigation podcast serial. Consider yourselves warned. To get our story started, let's take you back to the breakfast table before the 20th century. Generally, there were two versions of the American breakfast. The first one, um, if you were rich, it was a meat and fat heavy meal consisting of bacon, gravy, fried potatoes, and who knows what else. Obviously, this was not a very healthy way to start your day. The second version, um, if you were poor, you would eat hot cereals from grain, whether it be porridge, gruel, or mush. I wasn't exactly sure the difference between these. With a little help from Wikipedia, it appears that porridge is a breakfast cereal made by boiling ground or crushed grain with water or milk. Gruel is similar to porridge, however, it is generally thinner. Mush, on the other hand, is a cornmeal porridge that can either be served as is or allowed to set, um, then cut into squares and fried. These hot cereals were labor-intensive, requiring hours of boiling over wood stoves that were hard to control every morning. I bet all the mothers out there were starting to get fed up and need to wake up hours early to make some hardly appreciated mush for their family. The obvious disadvantages of these two breakfast options left a vacuum for a revolution of the American breakfast. In 1875, the now popular oatmeal was brought to the market by Henry Parsons Crowell. Um, First he made cracked oats, then later on the technology was developed to make rolled oats. His company was originally called the Consolidated Oatmeal Company, and only later switched their name to Quaker Oats, as this sounds a lot more wholesome. I can't imagine why anyone uh, would put Consolidated and Oatmeal in the same sentence, but that's just me. Making oatmeal still took a decent amount of time, as instant oats had uh, not been yet invented. I assume Crow's oats were similar to the old-fashioned Quaker Oats we have today. If only he knew one day his breakthrough hot cereal will be called Old Fashioned. Another fun fact, you know, those cylindrical containers, you know, we commonly buy oatmeal in, um, they, they were created by Crow, and at the time, this was a major, major breakthrough in food packaging. Where exactly the story of dry cereal begins is unclear. Some people start with a man named Sylvester Graham. 
Uh, he was he was the maker of flour and these bread nuggets, which later got bastardized into what we know as today as the graham cracker. Sylvester Graham, graham cracker. Yep, mind freaking blown. The story is going to become a who's who's of American food manufacturing. So back to the story. So some tell a story where Graham's biscuits were too hard to choose, so people started to soak them in milk and then call this the beginning of dry cereal. I mean, dry, sure, but cereal, I'm not completely convinced. Graham uh, was a Presbyterian minister and called himself a Christian physiologist. Um, He created the American Physiologic Society, um, which is still around today and can be found at physiology.org if you're into that kind of thing. He is best remembered for inventing the graham cracker, the American cookie enjoyed by Americans to this day. They are, assen- they, they are the essential ingredient in the campfire delicacy known as s'mores, a graham cracker chocolate marshmallow sandwich. These were not our modern-day Grammys, but simply made from whole wheat flour and water only. More like matzah, probably. The purpose of these little nuggets uh, were part of his program to stop sexual impurity and the urge to masturbate. It seems everyone at this time in history had a bone to pick with masturbation. In my opinion, Graham was not the inventor of modern-day cereals, but rather the maker of a really bland, hard-to-chew cracker. So who invented cold cereal? We likely won't ever know for sure. The top contenders are one of the Kellogg brothers of Kellogg cereal, C.W. Post, this is the Post of Post cereals, or Henley Perky, the inventor of shredded wheat. That being said, I'm almost certain the idea was born in the head of Dr. John Harvey Kellogg, one of the two notable Kellogg brothers to this story. Let's talk about him. His contributions to society were much more far-reaching than, be- than just being a serial monger. He was a talented physician, opened his own hospital called the Sanitarium, wrote numerous books, and treated thousands of patients. Like many physicians, he dedi- his dedication to medicine started with his own personal elements. In his younger years, he had consumption, also known as pulmonary tuberculosis, colitis, severe constipation, and an anal fissure. And that, that's a rip in your butthole, and yet it's as painful as it sounds. Now imagine, imagine this. Imagine being constipated with a rip in your butthole. That really, really has to hurt. It's no wonder he developed an, ass- an obsession with colon health and taught all of his patients the importance of multiple soft bowel movements daily. When you have an anal fissure, you want your bowel movements to be as soft as possible so they just kind of slide out and allow the wound to heal. I apologize for all this imagery. He actually went to medical school three times. The first two times he felt his schooling did not provide him with adequate education. Um, This ultimately led him to Bellevue Hospital Medical College, where the education did meet his expectations. It seems he first got the idea of ready-to-eat breakfast cereal while in medical school. While a medical student, uh, he could not afford the time to make a hot bowl of porridge or afford the price of salted meats. He was also a vegetarian, by the way. At the same time, he needed something that would produce his desired six soft bowel movements every day. Yes, six. That's what that was what his goal was. I can actually relate to this, not the bowel movement part, um, but you know, back in in my schooling days, um, you know, I perfected the Egrito thermos oats and the rapid uh, PB and J assembly line. In in medical school, you quickly figure out that the amount of learning that needs to happen is greater than the amount of time you have to learn it in. You quickly discover you need to you need maximum efficiency in all aspects of your life. 
My first med school discovery was thermos oats. This is a technique to cook oatmeal using a thermos so you don't have to stand there stirring a pot for half an hour. I actually made a YouTube video on this while I was in school. Uh, you can find this on the Informal Investigation YouTube channel if you'd like. It's a little embarrassing. My next idea uh, was the egg grito. Um, this is a fast food um, egg sandwich um, I created where you place a corn tortilla on a plate, crack an egg on top of it, add any toppings you would like, then place another corn tortilla on top. Um, then the plate is placed in the microwave. The end result of this whole thing is an egg sandwich. Um, and I found this was the only way to make edible eggs in the microwave because the tortillas help contain the moisture in the eggs. My final contribution to fast food in medical school was my PB&J sandwich making technique. I would pretty much make an entire loaf of bread worth of PB&Js at once and then put it back in the loaf bag. This way for lunch, all I needed to do was reach into the bag and grab a sandwich. If you decided to only try the above diet for a day, I don't necessarily recommend this. Um, it would likely cost you less than $2. Uh, Dr. Kellogg reported in a letter that once he had his diet locked in, uh, he was living on six cents per day. I apologize for that little detour, but I could not control myself. So let's get back to cereal. The next step um, in the dry cereal journey was at Dr. Kellogg's hospital slash medical spa called the Sanitarium, or the San for short. At the San, they served a variety of health foods. One of the notable ones uh, to this topic was something called granula. Yes, granula. Um, this, was a, this was a bread made from wheat, corn, and oats um, that was then forced through a sieve. I'm assuming these looked like uh, little breadcrumbs. Um, it seems uh, these were like a really big hit at the sand because people uh, would even take boxes of the stuff home with them. Dr. Kellogg's brother, Will, even set up a mail order business for granula. Unfortunately, it seems another doc um, named James Jackson from New York already invented a cereal called granula and sued Dr. Kellogg, forcing him to change the name to granola. Will Kellogg built up their granola business to a point where supposedly they, they, um, they were supposedly selling two tons of granola every week. Around the same time, an eclectic man named Henry Perky, uh, who, who was originally um, a school teacher, then a grocer, then an attorney, a Nebraska senator, and finally the proud inventor of shredded wheat. He was a chronic sufferer of indigestion, a, a not uncommon ailment at the time. Um, and he would, he, would, he would read everything he would find on, on a cure for his GI distress. Um, with the help of a, machine, a machinist friend, he created a machine that made his little whole wheat mattresses. After some tweaking, this became known as shredded wheat. He later, he later held more than 40 patents for machines that made cereal. Supposedly, Perky and the Kellogg's interfaced when the Kellogg's were going to buy his shredded wheat business, but the deal ultimately fell through. Following the failure of the shredded wheat deal, the Kellogg's created a test kitchen in the basement of the sand where they started working on their flake cereals. The Kellogg's original cereal creation was likely the combined work of Dr. Kellogg, his wife Ella, and his brother Will. After many experiments in their test kitchen, they created wheat flakes that they called granos. Gran, which stood for grain, and os, which I'm not quite sure about, but it's typically seen as a suffix for sugars in chemistry, like fructose, maltose, lactose. These flakes were a big hit at the sand, and the, and the patients especially liked them with milk. 
Next on our list um, is C.W. Post. Post suffered from various GI ailments um, and was a patient of Dr. Kellogg at the San. At the time, he was a failed businessman and could not pay his medical bills. To pay for services rendered, he helped out in the San's experimental kitchen. This gave him full access to the Kellogg's recipes. Soon after leaving the San, he created his own food manufacturing business. His first successful product was a coffee substitute called Postum. This showed a shocking resemblance to the Kellogg's at Minute Brew. His first cereal was called Grape Nuts that bore a strong resemblance to the Kellogg's Granola, but he added a little bit of extra sweetness. He eventually copied their flake cereal, creating Post Toasties. Following Post's success off the backs of the Kellogg's, Will Kellogg went full force into cereal experimentation. It was at this point he decided cereal needs to also taste good and changed his wheat flakes to corn flakes. He also added sugar, malt, and salt. These changes did not go over well when Dr. Kellogg found out. In January 1906, Will bought the rights to cornflakes from his brother for $170,000, which is over $4 million nowadays. To understand how Will was able to turn a small healthcare company into a corporate behemoth that would be doing over $1 billion in sales every year, let's talk about Will Kellogg, who was at least equally impressive to his brother John. As a child, Will was berated and felt to have inferior intellect to his older brother, John Harvey. He was berated by his teachers for not doing well in school, and his schooling ended at age 13. He only discovered years later that the reason he did not do well in school was simply because he needed glasses. This was the reason he later instructed his foundation to focus on children's dental and eye care. His adult life started out not all that different. He worked for his brother for the majority of his younger years. He successfully ran the sanitarium along with all of its side businesses to include the publishing company and the food company. Dr. Kellogg, unlike Will, was not a nice boss. It was reported that he would make Will take notes for him while he was taking each of his six bowel movements for that day. It is no doubt that running the sand was a training ground for Will to be crowned the cornflake king only six years after buying the company. Following Will's acquisition of the food company, he was strapped for cash and needed money to start his cereal empire. He was not able to even find a bank that would give him a loan uh, back then. They felt the idea of cold cereal was still ridiculous. Will's success and the success of the cereal industry um, was because of multiple reasons that all perfectly fell into place at that time. Modern mechanized factories were being built, railroads were being built, increase in popularity of the telephone and telegraph, government regulations ensuring the safety of the milk supply, and of course, Will's ingenuity. Will's brilliant use of the new advertising industry transitioned the modestly sized Battle Creek, Michigan company into a national and then global brand. He built the largest electrical sign at that time and placed it on top of the Mecca building in Times Square. The sign was a boy's face that measured 40 feet high. The boy was frowning and it read, I want Kellogg's Toasted Corn Flakes. Then the sign switched to a smile and read, I got Kellogg's Toasted Corn Flakes. He also advertised in magazines and newspapers. Of, of his many ad campaigns, uh, one was called the Wink Campaign. He advertised that women wink at their grocers to receive a free package of something called KTC. I'm assuming this was Kellogg's Toasted Corn Flakes. He further spearheaded the idea of giving free samples in, D in Dayton, Ohio, um, where he had door-to-door -door salesmen 
uh, going around handing out free samples uh, to all the mothers. He was the first to have the idea to place a free toy on the bottom of the cereal box. Not only did this encourage children to encourage their parents to buy Kellogg's Toasted Corn Flakes, the toy was cheaper by volume than the flakes and actually saved him money. Of course, there was also the chants and slogans, the K-E-L-L-O, double good Kellogg's best to you, and our three friends, Snap, Crackle, and Pop, who helped in his advertising campaign. The campaigns also coined breakfast as the most important meal of the day. His words are still burnt into the minds of Americans. When I was in medical training, I would be counseling patients on weight loss, and we would be going over their diet. Naturally, we would start off with breakfast. Um, there, there were many times that I found myself listening to patients explaining to me how they made sure to eat a large breakfast because it's the most important meal of the day. Um, this ad campaign is so ingrained in American society that I needed to explain to people that eating more, even if it was for breakfast, is not conducive to losing weight. Sometime near the end of this investigation, I went on a first date with a lady we will call Meg, because that's actually her name. Uh, trying to sound multidimensional, I told her about the podcast and my investigation into cereal. She asked me how I became interested in dry cereal. How did I get into this? The reason is likely a combination of fascination and disgust. Fascination because when I was a kid, I, I mean, I remember all the advertisements and dreamy cereals. Walking into the supermarket and seeing an entire wall of interesting flavored sweets, I had a chance at convincing my parents were a legitimate meal substitute. As a child, my parents wisely did not let me eat any mainstream cereals. The ones I ate came from a health food store and were made more in the image of Dr. Kellogg than Will, Post, and the others. Disgust because it is one of the most inaccurately represented foods. Once a health food and now extremely unhealthy and likely bears some responsibility for childhood obesity. It is also not at all a cheap food. I can't tell you how many times people tell me they eat cereal because they cannot afford other foods. Let's, let's clear this up once and for all. Dry cereal is not cheap. You are actually being robbed. Let's take a walk down the cereal aisle. The average box of cereal will run you 3 to $6 and contain around 350 grams of cereal if you're lucky. Now compare that to a small container of oatmeal that sells for 2 to $3, far more healthy and contains 850 grams of cereal. Regardless of my feelings above, I was determined to join this dreamy dry cereal saga. I was going to make my own dry cereal that would make the American breakfast even more convenient and tasty. Here enters my creation, coffee bean puffs. In looking for a base grain, I wanted something that would provide some nutrition. My focus went to puffed grains, puffed rice, puffed corn, puffed wheat. You may have seen the fake versions of these puff grains when you buy Rice Krispies, Corn Pops, and Smacks. These are just some kind of batter shaped into what these puff grains are supposed to look like. Let's get back to my puff grains. After researching how to puff grains, which you can do at home, I realized that it is infinitely easier to buy already puff grains. I experimented with these three grains and finally went with puffed wheat. Puffed wheat has a fantastic nutty flavor, great crunch, and is shaped like a coffee bean. I then found some extremely high-end instant coffee, added in vanilla extract, sugar, and a small amount of boiling water. After allowing the mixture to cool, I added it to the puffed wheat and allowed it to dry in a 170 degree oven. 
The final product is what I decided to call coffee bean puffs. Every bowl of coffee bean puffs is equivalent to one cup of coffee. You pour a bowl of coffee bean puffs, add milk, and start eating. The milk will soon turn into a fantastic-tasting vanilla latte, just like the milk of cocoa pebbles turns into chocolate milk. By eating coffee bean puffs, you are eating breakfast and drinking coffee at the same time. You're freaking welcome, world. If you're interested in the recipe, please go to informalinvestigation.com, sign up for our mailing list, and we will send you the recipe for free. Before concluding this episode, I need to give a huge, a huge shout out to Howard Markell, the author of The Kellogg's. Um, It was this book that inspired this episode and where I learned much of the history mentioned in this episode. With that, we are going to close this investigation. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to be notified about our upcoming episodes. Also, check the links in our show notes for the resources discussed in this episode on informalinvestigation.com. We have just started an Instagram account where you can see pictures from our investigation. Our handle is informalinvestigation. (laughs) 